Hi, everybody. It's Tuesday. So you know what that means? We're talking about all things health, and that is so exciting. So today we have Dr. Anthony Melillo, who is an orthopedic surgeon. So we're going to be talking about, so we've got this like fabulous new robot, and I want to, I'm so excited to talk to you about that. We're going to talk about knees, total knee replacements, and ACLs. We're going to talk about hips, and we're going to talk about you, everything that makes you Dr. Melillo. <laughs> um, and if there's anybody that comes on on Facebook that has any questions along the way we will absolutely answer those so you guys if you're watching live make sure you ask your questions we will answer them too um, just to let you know if you're watching um, on Facebook who else is in the room so we have Kara McAfee she's the physician liaison for Houston Physicians Hospital and Angela works in Dr. Melillo's office so she's like hanging out back there and she's like I'm not gonna say anything so we'll see <laughs> you are welcome to come and talk if you'd like to. So today is all about orthopedics. So Dr. Melillo, why don't we tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what got you into orthopedics, and what makes you an awesome orthopedic surgeon? Well, thank you for having me. Well, I actually became an orthopedic surgeon because I used to work in orthopedic tech in a hospital when I was young. I was about 20 years old. I was basically helping the people with broken hips around the place. I met this real nice doctor who had just left the Air Force and he kind of put me under my wing and he said, you know, you'd make a good orthopedic surgeon. And at that time I was studying to be a lawyer. So I Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All <laughs> so right. Made a few changes after talking to him and working with him for a summer. And I actually went to the same medical school he did, which is the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. And my first time I did orthopedics, I knew, I knew that was going to be it. I went to school to become an orthopedic surgeon Every course I went into, I wanted to become that. My last course was orthopedics, and I stayed there. It was the best choice I made. Orthopedics is a wonderful field. We get to work on little kids all the way up to older people and pretty much the whole, the whole body. Awesome. I've, been, I've been in Houston now, clearly, since 1996. Originally, awesome. from, originally from New wow. Jersey. I moved out into New Mexico, and believe it or not, just to stay for two years in college there at New Mexico State. Yeah. Then I got accepted to Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, four years there. Burr. Burr's right. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is it's, it's so cold you have to study. So I, That is so funny. I did very you well. You eat cheese and study, right? <laughs> and, 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 and drink beer and more. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And root for the brewers. Then I was lucky enough I got a scholarship to the... Through medical school through the Navy, and then I spent nine wonderful years in universe, in San Diego, studied oh, in San wow. Diego at the Naval awesome. Hospital, on a ship for two years, and then went back and did four years of orthopedics in the Navy, wow. and then I got introduced or reintroduced to Texas. I was a general orthopedic surgeon down in Corpus Christi for two years. It was excellent, and I knew I wanted to stay in Texas, mm -hmm. but I wasn't ready to go to private practice then. When I left the Navy, I went up to Boston, and I did a fellowship in joint replacement at Mass General Hospital. Oh, I love Mass Gen. Great place, great awesome. place. Then finally went down to Mississippi and did a fellowship in shoulders and sports medicine in Jackson, and then I came here in 96. So you know what you're doing. I hope so. And thank you for your service, by <laughs> the way. You. We were, uh, so side note, my son loves airplanes, and so he we see them fly from Ellington all the time, and this weekend we were watching all things Navy and great. flying from those ships and everything, mm -hmm. so that was pretty cool. Okay, so most people, I'm gonna get do a little bit of background, because I know from my point of view, I know a lot about the Da Vinci robot. So the Da Vinci robot, you sit the doctor, <laughs> 
not me, but the doctor would sit in this little console and use their fingers, and, and it's mainly for laparoscopic surgery for anything done in the torso area. So most urologists or gen surgeons, things like that, would, would use the Da Vinci. So mm-hmm. the robot that we're talking today talking about today, though, is completely different. It's all about joints. They do It does hips and knees. So tell me a little bit about this robot. What is it called? Why do you like it? I'm going to start off in history a little bit. It's called the Mako Robot, and that technology came out of MIT in about 1997. I can't tell you how the technology works. It has to do with stereotactics. Let's, let's the surgeon know where the specific parts of the joint are in the room. Mm-hmm. The way they do that is amazing. And then um, it moved on into the Maker Robot, and I have some notes here. In 2004, Maker became a company. Right? Okay. And the first total partial knee was done in 2006 in Florida. Okay. And then, believe it or not, it became a public company, made a lot of money, and it started doing hips and knees. Partial hips, I'm sorry, partial knees and and. I'm sorry, total. partial knees and total hips. Then Stryker bought it in, I think, December 2013, and they brought it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Right? They have influx of money and exposure, and they brought it to the next level. And now on a third generation of Make a Robot. Now, what it does is partial knee replacements, total knee replacements as of about two years ago, and total hip replacements. Awesome. And what it actually does is not just the robot, which is very important. It's all the preoperative planning. We get a CT scan of the patient. We could, we meaning myself and the Mako product specialist, the MPS, and he or she actually designs where that hip or knee belongs in the body, patient's body, unique to that individual. Mm-hmm. I see that. I can make some adjustments, and I actually do the surgery, if you would, virtually on the computer. And well, we, yes, and we get to the operating room, it's there. And then we actually, in the operating room, we do everything like we normally do with a hip replacement or a knee replacement, but we have to do some registration. We have to tell the robot where that patient's joint is in the knee. So the approaches are the same. We have to put a little gizmo called an array up where the computer can pick up, and we touch certain parts of the body, and also whammo. The computer knows exactly where that knee is or that hip is in space. Well, wow. then we bring the robot in, which is basically a glorified cutting arm. It's a big okay. arm, sits on the box, and it makes the cuts perfectly for that person. I mean, it, I, I don't, but I could shut my eyes and, and do it because yeah. it will stop <laughs> if I'm outside. Yes, please don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> it, it literally stops if you're outside. They call the haptic zone. It'll stop. So the good thing is. What is the haptic zone? What the that haptic mean? zone is the area of cutting that the computer allows you to cut. Okay. okay. And on the, if you're looking at the machine, you're literally looking at a screen. You're not looking at the, 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 bot, incision, the incision or wherever Somewhere, you're going. Right. There's things to protect you, but your systems are holding the tissue back. And so when you're making your cuts, you're looking at the computer screen, and it's basically a green, and you cut the green until it's gone. And then you know your cuts are finished. You look wow. there, and it's perfect. And one of the other thing it does, it, besides making the perfect cut with two millimeters, it also protects the soft tissue. And in the knee, that's very important because if you're cutting with that that blade and you stray out, you could cut the ligaments and then you have to change your implants, et cetera. Even if you're a great surgeon, sometimes that can happen. Mm -hmm. Here, it's very difficult to do because the machine will stop you. Safety is built into it. Wow. So does it like flash red and say stop? It just stops automatically. Oh, wow. It literally just stops. But you're right. If you go too deep, it will show red. 
Really? That is the number, yeah. Wow. Does it like blink at you or no, it just scream stopped. at you? It just, <laughs> stop, no. stop, stop. <laughs> Usually you're screaming at it because you, why did it stop? Because you don't realize it stopped. You sound perfect. You're not. Oh, wow. And it gets you back into perfect. Wow. That's crazy. It is good. So how long have you been doing this? your surgeries on the robot? Uh, about two and a half years now. Houston Physicians Hospital is the first hospital in this area to get it. That was about two and a half years. I want to thank the people at Houston Physicians Hospital, especially the CEO that put the million dollars out for this robot. Yeah. It's a very expensive robot, um, but it's well worth it. Your, your people may ask, what? we don't get paid more money for the robot. It is the same exact cost with or without the robot. In fact, the hospital loses a little money because some of the disposables add up to about a couple hundred bucks. So we actually lose that. Where we gain is that our, we believe that our cuts are better, the patients have less pain, they're in and out of the hospital quicker, so we gain in that end. The outcomes are better, you would say? So far it is. Now again, we don't have 20 years of data yet, but yeah, the yeah. short-term data shows our outcomes are better and complication rates are less. So do you use the robot for all of your partial and total knees and all of your total hips? Is there a point where you would say, no, I don't want to use a robot on this case? Initially, when I first started doing the total knee application of the Mako, I was a little selective for the reasons you can imagine. I mean, yeah. do I really want to do this very bad knee with technology that I'm not used to? Right, right. Um, but after doing a few and now many, I feel almost guilty not using the robot. Wow. Because I know what good results it occurs. So it's almost an ethical issue for me. And I have turned down cases at other hospitals that don't have robots because I don't want to get into that right now. I'm yeah. busy enough with the robot and hopefully I can remain busy. So did you have to do specific training for this? Where did you have to go somewhere? Tell me about that. Yes, you have to become trained and certified on the robot. And the Stryker, since they bought the company, they will actually fund it. They will send you to wherever you have to go, either Vegas or New Jersey or Boston, and they will train you. They train you on cadavers, and you have to so you have to demonstrate proficiency in it. Mm -hmm. Then you come back, and usually you get met with someone in the area who knows how to do it, and they'll come help you in the operating room the first couple times, make sure you know what's going on, and then you're certified. And I was lucky enough that last week I was invited up to Boston to a championships a meeting. Ooh. Yes. It was <laughs> like a competition on the robot. <laughs> it was actually <laughs> fun times. It was. It was it's what they call the sixty in the sixty doctors in the country that are early adopters. Mm -hmm. The ones that are doing more cases. Only about one percent of all total joints are being done with the robot at this point. Wow. Worldwide it's about ten percent. A lot more in Europe and in Australia. It's very popular in Australia and in Italy and in Germany. And it's going to get more and more popular in the United States as Stryker brings it to market more and people see the results. Right. Are you the only physician using the robot right now in no, this area? I am not. We have one or two, at least two other very talented surgeons in, in my hospital that do it there. They're excellent. Uh, in fact, when we first started, uh, one of them and myself, Dr. Laura Torres, she and I did cases together. Uh, to get confidence with each other. We, we bounce things around all the time with each other. And she's a very competent surgeon. And the other one uh, is, is Dr. Copeland. She's just starting, but she's also excellent in that. And I think there might be one or two. Dr. Vanderwey now does it. Mm -hmm. I, I even think Dr. Shouter may be doing it. Oh, cool. Uh, so we're, we're getting more and more adopters. But the only the only hospital that has it in the Clear Lake area is Houston Physicians Hospital? That's correct. 
Awesome. Well, that's why I never knew about it then. <laughs> I'm like, there's a different robot than the Da Vinci. I had no idea. Like, yes. it was completely crazy. And that's awesome. So, um, is there any, ta- any time that someone would need uh, a robot versus open? Any other time? Mm, no, I don't, I don't think it's a choice between open versus robot because it, oh, robotic surgery is open. I mean, the okay. incision is identical. It's, it's totally identical. It's just the method of what you're doing preoperatively. And mm-hmm. even in the intraop is different. I don't want to get too technical. But when you're the older way, which is very valid, and I wouldn't put, put it past anyone who has it done that way, your, your surgeon has to make certain cuts. We call it gaps, certain gaps, to make them balance so everything works well. The robot helps you do it in real time. So when I actually push a pull on your knee based on what we think we have preoperatively, it'll tell me what the gaps are. Then we can make some adjustments to your knee and make that cut. And then we know that cut is going to be there. Awesome. It is good. So did you win the championship? No. Oh, next time. Next time. Totally. All right. So we're going to have to go to break, which is crazy. When we come back, we are going to talk about all things knees. So, hey, Candice. Hey, Jose. If you guys have questions about knees, ACLs, total knee replacements, anything, anything that Dr. Malillo could answer that you have questions for knees, you guys post those and we will answer those when we come back. Oh, hey. hey. We're back. Welcome back to Your Health Matters with Abby Lee. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, contact us at VinylDraftRadio.com. This is Your Health Matters with Abby Lee. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. My name is Abby Lee. We are live for Your Health Matters with Dr. Anthony Melillo, and we also have Kara McAfee here. So now we're going to talk about all about knees, and I'm super excited because I'm going to pick on my mom for a minute, and I don't know if she's watching on Facebook <laughs> right now, but okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background, and then I'm going to answer, uh, ask the question, which I probably already know the answer to, but you know, she's just like that. So my, my mother, my mom's side, of the family has all had knee problems. Her sister has had both knees replaced and she is convinced that if she goes to see an orthopedic doctor, She's going to go out with, like, orders for surgery the next day. <laughs> like, no, they do conservative treatment first. But anyway, um, wh- is there any point when someone comes into your office and they're like, oh, my gosh, my knee hurts. This is what's been going on. It's been hurting me for years and years, and I've just been putting it off. And where you're like, no, we really should go into surgery. Do you ever have a moment like that? Of course. Um, but that's not routine normal we do have a couple of people come in with they're so advanced the only thing realistically to do is a knee replacement hip replacement shoulder replacement if you talk about arthritis um, most people come in with knee pain and they say my knee hurts for different reasons so we, we get history we take some x-rays we examine and then I'm, I'm a fairly conservative doctor um, I like to do non-operative treatment I believe in physical therapy I believe in weight loss I believe in non-operative things such as anti-inflammatory medicines we, all, we also have a list of natural homeopathic medicine that may work such oh, as cool. turmeric and cinnamon etc yeah, yeah. Um, but for the most part we want to start off non-operative for a couple of reasons one i want the patient to know me and i want to get to know them because not everyone who comes to my office wants me to operate them and vice versa some people i say i don't sure i want to really operate on this person i may not be the right doctor for that person so it's a little bit of we're feeling each other out and we want also treating them for 
non-operative stuff first. So what's the most common diagnosis you see for knee problems in your office? Knee pain. <laughs> Sometimes oh, we, what's, the, what's the underlying cause, I guess? Well, some, <laughs> Sorry, bad question. <laughs> many, a lot of times we don't know what it's causing it. We just don't. A lot of it's just biomechanical, especially in younger kids. Young kids come in with knee pain, we examine them, and they're just at that awkward age where they're doing a lot of things mm -hmm. and their body's not prepared to do it. Their bones are grown, the muscles haven't caught up, hormones haven't caught up. So we want to get them into the physical therapist, strengthen the legs, get their core muscles strengthening going, get their the way they they walk better, the way they jump better, the way they exercise better. And majority of those children, soon to be young adults, they grow through their knee pain. Hmm. Do you see more kids than adults? Side note. I don't know. We see more kids than adults, but we see a lot of kids. I have two boys, both one's 15 and one's 13. They're very in Excellent. sports. We see their friends. And so I love seeing them because you know, they're just wonderful people. Awesome. Now, older people, for sure, most of them is or will be people are getting arthritis. Mm -hmm. Those are the majority of people that I see. We also see sports injuries, people that hurt the knees, they tear the meniscus or the menisci, if there's two of them. They, they tear the ACL, which is the ligament in the knee, sometimes the posterior cruciate ligament, the PCL, uh, dislocate the patella, which is the kneecap. Sometimes we see people tear the patella off, quads, quads off, yes, traumatic, wow. things like that. Yeah, from and car those, accidents or something like that. Or just falling down the stairs. Those people need operations, okay. the ones that have torn ligaments, et cetera. Oh my gosh. All right. So say someone comes in with arthritis in their knee. What are the signs and symptoms that they're complaining about? Number one is going to be pain. It's always pain. If they don't have any pain and I see an arthritic knee, I'm not going to replace the knee. I'm not going to operate the knee because we're there to get pain out and function improved. Number two is going to be a dysfunction. They're going to say, I can't do this. I can't do that. Usually it's classic is early morning stiffness. We have to sitting for long periods of time when they get up. They have pain. Or in Texas, they go on long car rides. They start having pain. They have to mm -hmm. get up and move it because that joint doesn't move. Everything kind of contracts. It's stiff. And they start hurting. Yes. Wow. Okay, so for someone who comes in with a, with arthritis in their knee, what are the treatment options that you that you normally do? Well, depends Turmeric on how, and cinnamon? Sometimes, yes, sure. Um, if it's mild arthritis, no, we get them into a physical therapy program. If the heavy has the weight loss, please understand seven times your body weight goes across your knee every time you stand up. So if wow. you lost 10 pounds, you'll take 70 pounds off your knee every time you step up a stair, which is amazing. Wow. That's a lot. And how much more weight you put on when you're pregnant. Oh. <laughs> Side note. Back, back, back pain, knee pain, hip pain, you'll get it. <laughs> oh, believe me, it's there. Uh, but then after we do that, we, we maybe anti-inflammatory medicine or Tylenol. I like a lot of the topical anti-inflammatories like either Pencet or Voltaren gel. Uh, and then if that doesn't work, then we could go in if they're inflamed, if they have inflammations fluid on the knee sometimes we'll do an occasional steroid injection um, and then if that doesn't work and they have some arthritis we like to use something called visco supplementation which is artificial joint fluid injections oh cool and it's different brands and we like that a lot it doesn't reverse the process but it gives people pain relief about eight out of ten people have some pain relief about nine how long does it last normally well, nine to eighteen months uh, for the That's most not bad. it's not bad at all especially if you're an older person and you can't have surgery and it's hard to go to church this helps them how many times can you do it uh, you can repeat it repetitively i always tell my patient if it doesn't get you to six months it's probably not worth the money mm. uh, but if it gets you six to nine months uh, it's probably worth it uh, we also in our office we have stem cell injections we don't 
offered to everyone. It's, oh, cool. it's FDA approved, but but not. It's still considered experimental. It's yeah. not covered. So I only tell patients about it in the last resort and tell them they want to try it. Uh, yeah. We've had some reasonably good outcomes on that. Um, but the ours are amniotic stem cells, and we charge a very low rate, very little over what we pay for it because I feel. It's again. I think it's unethical to charge four or five thousand dollars that some clinics are selling and was charging in this area because it's still experimental. So we yeah. we, we shouldn't be doing this to our patients. Yeah, that that was a lot. That was a big topic for mm-hmm. a long time. So, uh, are there a lot of people pro- offering stem cell injections? There's enough out there that are offering the same thing I'm offering for four or five thousand dollars, and and that's a bad wow. because it, it doesn't work in all patients, and then it's giving the bad taste to people's mouth. And yeah. even the government's getting involved in this. Uh, the biggest thing to do is it's experimental. I tell my patient, let them know, and then we move on. Do you yeah. use it in surgery? We have used it in surgery, yes. Yes, we will. When I, I so had, why would you use it in surgery? I had it done. When I had my rotator cuff fixed, uh, the surgeon who did my shoulder put stem cells in, and it helps to For heal. the recovery? Yes. I've also had it in my back. I've an arthritic back. had three injections over about five years, six years, and it has helped. I, I find that stem cells give a very quick anti-inflammatory response gets inflammation down very quickly and then if there's restorative processes we find with time so is there an age limit on who gets the the stem cells probably not an age limit i'd be a little hesitant about using anyone below 18 because i'm sure the fda didn't didn't test it out in pediatrics oh okay so talking about pediatrics, when when they come in with knee pain, what are what are your treatment options? That you, is it some something similar or? Well, like I said earlier, majority of kids that come in, it's either going to be mechanical patellofemoral pain syndrome, what we discussed, biomechanical issues, or something called Oshkosh-Slatter's, which is the, the little area in the front of your knee with the tip with the patellus attaches, that gets inflamed. Both my boys had it, and one still has it. That's from jumping and being athletic. Uh, we tell them the rest, put ice on it, Motrin, or Advil. Those are probably the two. And, and then some of the younger ladies, more than men, or boys, we see a lot of subluxing uh, kneecaps. They slide in and out. Oh. So again, that's a physical Ooh, therapy. That sounds issue. like it would look and be very painful. It would mm-hmm. be, especially if you're a gymnast. Yes. Oh, do you see a lot of gymnasts that have that issue? Well, no, but we see enough gymnasts that have had the issue. Wow, yeah. interesting. I yes. wonder how that happens. Mm. Okay, so uh, while we're talking about kids and and athletics, you know, that's one of the com- one of the common things that kids have are ACL injuries. So why don't you talk a l- talk to me a little bit about that? How what are the signs and symptoms that they come in with when it's torn versus just pulled sure. or I, I don't know. Well, when we talk about kids, well, let's let's if you're a younger child below 10, if you have an ACL injury, that's rare. Very, we do see it, but it's rare. Usually, that happens where they pull the bone and the ligament off together. So all we have to do usually is either do nothing if it's not completely displaced or go in and put a screw, put the bone back to the other bone and it scars in and heals. That's the best one. That's not that common. The more frequent are the teenagers Mm -hmm. or early adults that tear their knees up either Football, football, mm-hmm. soccer, volleyball, basketball, and they actually tear the ligament. The ligament itself disrupts mid-substance. It's very difficult to have an athletic career or even a normal life without an ACL because when you go and turn and pivot, your knee is not as stable, and you shuck and slide a little bit, and it causes pain, and worse, it causes secondary damage. 
because there's other oh. other parts of the knee that are not designed to be stabilizers, such as the menisci, they become the stabilizers, and then they start to tear. So if a kid tears their ACL, are they completely like can't walk on it, or it just hurts really bad? Well, initially, there's two types of presentations. Either they tear it really badly, and their whole knee is inflamed, and they, that's an obvious. They come yeah. in, and their whole knee looks horrible. You examine them. You you can see it's not out. You get an MRI and you see a lot of damage. The other ones are the more dangerous ones, I think. And those are the subtle ones. People who just twist their knee, they really don't have any issues. They just have a little pain for a couple of days. They don't realize they tore the ACL. And then they go on about their life. And then they have a secondary injury down the line. And that's the one I worry about because that secondary injury is pretty beat. They really tear up a lot of other things. And they don't even know they have an ACL and we see that often. We call that a chronic or delayed presentation. So do you see that like when they're more in their 20s, if they've torn it in their teenage years? or well, We would see it sometime after the first injury. I don't think it's an age-related. It has to do with a lot, in my opinion, a lot of their people have very tight knees to begin with. Some people have loose knees. People have tight knees. They could tear their ACL. You won't know that because they're still tight on the exam. Hmm. And, and some of the symptoms are so isolated, they don't get picked up. Okay. Interesting. So talk to me about the partial knee arthroplasty. Did I even say that right? You said it right. <laughs> so I was doing a little bit of research, no. but tell, what is that and why would you do that? That's a great question. Prior to the robot, I never did. They, really? They were too hard. Wow. Okay. Now, what is a partial knee replacement? This is where we change just the, the knee itself is broken down to three compartments. The patellofemoral compartment, the medial or inner compartment, and the outer or lateral compartment. That's just by convention we call three compartments. If you have a total knee, all three things are changed. A partial, one or two of those are changed. Mm. The classic one is the medial, the inner side, and that's a classic history is that someone who's had a meniscectomy done before, part of the meniscus was taken out, say they're 20, and now they come in their 30s or 40s, and now they've developed post-meniscectomy arthritis. They get bad arthritis, but it's only that one joint, the inside portion. So, and the ligaments are all intact. We don't want to go in and take someone who has normal ligaments and two out of three compartments and take it all out. Right. Before we had robots, there was a partial knee replacement, but it was very difficult to get it right because it's tight space, it's hard to see it. Mm -hmm. With the robot, it's perfect now. I go in there, I know exactly how to cut, where to cut, because I've done all the pre-op planning with the computer, and the computer makes the cuts perfectly. And since we had the robot, I've done a bunch of them now, for the last two and a half years. One of my favorite operations, the patients love it, they back, they back quicker and the knee feels more natural because we have not damaged or touched any of the ligaments, which we do in the total knee. We do sacrifice one or two of the central ligaments. Wow, interesting. Yes. All right, so we're going to actually have to take a break. And I think I have a couple more questions on knees. So we'll come back and talk a little bit more about knees and follow up with hips and then get, we just have so much more to talk about. So that. it is not time for a break yet, Tegan, <laughs> but it is. So we'll, we'll finish our conversation on knees and talk a little bit more about hips when we come back. We're back. Let's talk about your health with some of the Bay Area's top medical professionals. Get your weekly dose of Your Health Matters with Abby Lee on Vinyl Draft Radio. Radio done differently. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. My name is Abby Lee, and you are listening to Your Health Matters. I wanted to say hey to some people that are watching on Facebook. Candace, Jose, Carrie, thumbs up. Thank you guys for watching and listening. So y'all shout out some questions if you have any on hips and knees. We will answer those. Um, we will answer those live. So keep them coming. Uh, all right. So we're talking about 
ACLs and hips and I mean we could probably talk about this all day really but I did have a couple more questions on knees before we move to hips so is it more likely that a female will have an ACL tear than a male it's probably more likely a male have it of a female just a sure volume of them how many participate however on an even group women do tear at higher rate than men and that has a lot to do with again biomechanics uh, the hips are a little wider um, they're more what we call quad positive they use the quads a little more when they jump yeah uh, they kind of lurch forward that puts a lot of stress on the anterior cruciate ligament and you tear it so wow. one of the early studies done by North Peak surgeon female I should say worked looked at that and if we could get the young ladies to get core strengthening and learn how to jump and land better they will diminish their ACL injuries. Oh, do you have any tips for moms that are listening <laughs> to tell their daughters what to do? Yes, get them off the couch and get them into a good training program. Oh, there you go. Yep. And work on some core strength. Core strengthening legs, very important. Interesting. So have you seen more in like soccer and football versus other sports? For women, it's soccer and volleyball, number one and number two. Volleyball. Oh, oh yes. really? Yes. For ACLs? Yes. Hmm. yes ma'am. And of course, football and soccer for boys. Interesting. So what are the treatment options for torn ACLs? Again, it's age-related. Age if you're young, active, it's going to be surgery at some point. Um, if it's older and you don't want surgery, there, there's you can brace them and physical therapy and modify activity. But you can't do that in an 18-year-old kid who wants to play sports. Yeah, That person's going to have to eventually get the ACL done and, and move on. Yeah. What's the recovery time for an injury like that? Well, the, the, specifically just for the ACL, it takes about six to nine months before releasing to full unrestricted wow. sports. Oh, that's a long time. It is. I didn't think that it was that long. It, it really is because we literally put in a piece of tissue, a graft, into the knee to act as the ACL, and over time it will become an ACL. So the first three to six months, a lot of biology is going on, and you're just rehabbing the leg to get it stronger, and you're protecting it. And then when they're at six months, a lot of things are looking great, but there's a lot of things like proprioception, which is where your knee is in space. That takes a year or two. That's why you see a lot of professional athletes, they say their knee doesn't feel the same or right until a year or two after they have it done. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the mind-knee connections are getting back to where they should be. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah. That, that seems like, but it makes sense. Where do you normally graft from? Well, it depends. Um, I personally like the patella tendon, central one-third patella tendon autograft in younger people. Uh, in older folks, I love allografts for different reasons. I'm not a big hamstring person, especially in younger people, personally, because I find that the studies show that many of them, almost 20%, will stretch out by the time they're 2021 20, if they get them in a 16, 17. So I'd rather not do that surgery. But some of my yeah. colleagues do that and do it very well, and, and they have a different experience. Okay. All right. So let's talk about hips now. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I have this feeling that most people think that a hip replacement is all for people who are like in their 90s. <laughs> <laughs> but no. I'm I'm thinking that it's not. What's the youngest person that you've done a hip replacement on? I think we discussed this for the show. The youngest was in their late 30s. Though I have patients of mine who I've sent to other places had them done in their 20s and even younger. If you have a very back and general hip, I mean it's completely displaced from either or, or displastic from either birth or from infection. Well. It's, 
there are people that get hip replacements at a younger age. Now, there's only so much time a hip replacement is good for. So the earlier you put it in, the more likely you're going to have to revise that or do it again. How, How long, long do they... Go ahead. How long does it last? It's a great question. I, I tell my patients a very good hip replacement done with all the metals and, and ceramics that we use now should last about 25 years, sometimes 30 That's years. That's awesome. Wow. But it depends on age-related. Younger people last younger people last shorter because they're more active yeah they're doing a lot more stuff on it okay so what kinds of signs and symptoms does a person have when they would need a hip replacement well i'll tell you what they should come in with they should come in with groin pain pain in the groin and down the thigh that's the classic physical classic sign signs of hip pain hip arthritis if they come and say the back hurts it's probably not the hip we examine it sometimes it could be knee pain there's about five to ten percent of people come in knee pain when i examine the knee it's normal but the hip is not and it's referred pain down there that's interesting and i never thought it would be pain in the groin and in the quad that is so interesting so does it hurt them to to do activities of daily life yes usually the the Big thing in Texas, we don't do a lot of stairs, but if you live in a lot of places of stairs, they take they go up the one stair at a time. Usually, go up with the good leg and down with the bad leg. Uh, they they usually can't push out of a chair without using the handrails because they don't have enough power because of pain. Uh, but most of it, they have leg pain, i.e., groin pain, either at night when they're sleeping or when they're walking. And it wakes them up. A lot of times, it does. So, do you see a lot of these people limping, like? Yes. Walking funny, too? We see that a lot. In fact, I now that I've done this for so many years, a lot of times I sit down and I could look at people and say, that's what's wrong with him or her, et cetera. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Before you even walk into my, my uh, I'm patient I'm talking about room. when I'm, I'm out and about just having Oh, dinner. like at H-E-B. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you stop them and say, hey, I can fix that for you? <laughs> very, very tempted, but I don't. <laughs> if you need someone, uh, my office is right down the street. So if they they wait to come in, what other things could um, they damage in their body? Well, that's a great question. I I think when people have a bad hip, a lot of times they are coming in with knee pain or back pain because they're not thinking the hip is bothering them. And they have referred pain in other areas because other things start to compensate. Lower back, for sure, the knee. And there's another thing we we see, which is younger people, which we'll just throw out, is some of the young kids come in, young kids, younger people, they come in with something called avascular necrosis, which is cell death to the hip. They don't even know it. They just have this this pain. And we get this x-ray or an MRI, and we see that the blood supply to the head of the femur has died or is dying. Oh, my and Lord. That, and that's a lot of people where you get hip replacements. There's different classifications of AVN. A number one cause of that is, believe it or not, too much drink of alcohol, too much steroid use, trauma, sickle cell. Um, there's a, a list of 10 different things that can What's cause What's the age range for someone that would have that? It could be wide open. When I was in the Navy, I, we had a young man come in, and he was probably about 28. And unfortunately, he had a reaction to some medicine. They gave him steroids, and boom. He got AVN of both hips and knees and shoulders, all four joints, 28 oh, years old. Oh, my God. So did he have to get replacements he and had, all? He had to get new hips and uh, new shoulders. The knees we worked on until he got a little older and he wow. got it. But that's very rare. But Bionic yes, kind of, man now? It's, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, yes. That's interesting. That was the rarest case I had in my life, my, my professional career. Wow. So is there a, a general um, age range that you're doing hip replacements on? Uh, I, that's a great question. When I was going to medical school, if we had people in their 40s that had bad hips, we could pretty much say it was from either A, from something in childhood, either born with bad hips, 
They got something called Perthes disease as a, as a child, where in a six or seven, where the hips didn't develop well, bad blood supply. Some kids have what we call slipped capital femoral epiphysis, where the growth plates of the hips slides, usually about 14, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we think about avascular necrosis. Now, those are people in the 40s sometimes trauma. Then we get to the 50s and 60s, a lot of that has to do with genetics, maybe a small slip. Um, what I, and then we get into the 70s and 80s, and those are the people that have gotten bad arthritis. Mm-hmm. Good thing about hip replacements. I will do a hip replacement in a very old person in their 90s when I won't do a knee replacement, because hip replacements, in my opinion, do much better. They're easy to recover from, and the patients love it. Almost 95% of all people who have hip replacements rated as good to excellent, and only 85% of people have knee replacements rate that as good as excellent. So why? I think it has to do with the hip is not as a complex joint as the knee is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the same weight bearing. It's only three times your body weight goes across your hip and seven times your knee. And I think that the knees are really hard to rehab. There's a lot more cutting. The two big bones, two biggest bones of your body. Yeah. The hip is a small bone for the most part. Interesting. So at what point do, does someone come in your office and you're like, hey, we really should do a hip replacement? When they can't, two things. If they have really bad disease in x-ray, where if we don't do it in a reasonable time, we're lo- losing a lot of bone. Because then it makes and it'll us, get worse and worse. And, they, and the surgery gets harder for the mm. patient and for the surgeon. Or if they just have pain and they just can't get over it with some anti-inflammatory medicines, weight loss, all the uh, things we discussed. So can someone prevent needing a hip replacement? <laughs> some people can. I feel like that's, that's a, yeah? This, How? This, is, uh, this is, is not just hip replacements, but knee replacements as well. Well, certainly knees. Weight has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. We are seeing an influx or an increase of total joints, especially the knees, and not because of only arthritis. It's because people are sedentary, they're putting too much weight on, and they're damaging those knees early on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the best advice I'd have is get to what I consider a normal weight for your height within that range. Keep yourself active. Don't abuse your body. I mean, you have to play sports, but don't abuse it. Right. Okay. And those are the number one, two, and three. If you're genetically predisposed to have bad arthritis, you're going to have it. Yay. That's right. That's me. Well, you know, Future maybe. patient right here. Possibly so. <laughs> what about Joy. supplements? Like Bioflex or glucosamine chondroitin? Good question. Um, I always tell my patients that the limited studies out there show about a third of people do benefit. What third, we don't know. So I tell them to try it, let them go for a couple of months. If you're not sure, stop it. And if knee pain comes back, go back on. If it doesn't, save you money. We talked earlier about turmeric and cinnamon as fish oil. These are things that have been shown in literature to help some. Not everyone. Now, I personally take cinnamon. It's not the regular cinnamon. It has to be salon cinnamon, which is only 15% of cinnamon. You have to buy it specially, but it's out there. Um, Turmeric. And I take fish oil. Fish oil is very good for your heart. It's good for your muscles, and it's very good for your joints. Awesome. Okay. And your heart. Yep. And your heart. There That's you go. True. Check that out. All right. <laughs> so we're actually uh, out of time again. So we're going to talk about you a little bit when we come back. I'm interested to hear a little bit more of your background and and all of that that we didn't talk about earlier. So you guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I am Abby Lee with Your Health Matters, and this is actually one of my favorite segments of the show. It really is because we get to know you and what makes you you. 
it's just fun because we talk about all things what are your hobbies and and all of that people get to know you and that really means a lot because when if someone is actually having hip or knee pain and they're contemplating on where to go and they're like oh my gosh i went to the same school oh my i have to go and see this guy so anyway um before we talk about you, though, I want to talk about the exercise and knees thing because we, when we were on break, we were talking about the the best exercises for knees, and you were talking about marathon runners and recreational runners, and that that can be controversial around the running community too. So, talk to, let's talk a little bit about that on the air so other people can hear it too. Sure. What I had mentioned was that there's been studies between recreational runners and marathon runners see if either one of them have a higher risk of total knee replacements and. They don't. They have equal amount. So we don't know if running helps or hurts when it comes to joints. My personal belief is if you're fit, you can run. If you're not very fit, I'd rather you do other things to take the load off the knees, such as cycling, swimming. Those are my number one and number two activities. And then the gliders in the gym, treadmills, and then run. Run would be my last thing. If you're a runner... And you're fit to run, then go for it. Make sure most runners know that your shoes have to be well padded. In Houston, we have concrete and hard grounds. The, the, the ground reactive force goes right through into your knees and your hips and your back. Yep. I used to run a lot. I have an arthritic back. I don't run as much because it hurts my back too much. Mm-hmm. So I do other things. Yeah. In our family, usually, if it's if our knees start hurting when we're running, it's time for n- new shoes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, I guess to go shopping. More shoes. So uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, we know that we, you were in the Navy. So what else didn't you tell us? Oh, so much. Uh, first, I'm, I'm happily married to a wonderful woman named Erin Gamble Malillo. She's a physical therapist, and we met in Mass General Hospital. That was excellent. We have, I have two boys, uh, one Christian, who's uh, at Lutheran South Academy. He's just finished his freshman year and made the... He's in, made the honor roll and, and varsity letter in baseball, and so I'm very wow. happy for him. And another son, Alexander. Yay. <laughs> we both have Alexanders. And he's also <laughs> at Lutheran South Academy. He's going to eighth grade. And uh, he also made the National Honor Society, Junior Honor Society, smart boy. Yay. And uh, plays basketball. That's his passion in baseball. He's right now in Pine Cove out in uh, in Sealy area up for a week. So it's a little quiet around the house with no Fortnite, which is wonderful. <laughs> You're enjoying um, it. Oh, yes. Uh, I have three wonderful uh, dogs, um, Golden Doodles. Val- oh, I <laughs> love that. Are they big or small? B- big ones. Yeah. Okay. We have Valentino, who's Tino. We have Romeo, who's Romeo. And Giovanni, we call Gio. So <laughs> oh three Italian dogs. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I love that. Wonderful dogs. So are you Italian? I am. Oh, uh, so uh, are ta- you like pasta every night Italian? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tuesday, Thursdays, and Sunday when I grew up. No. <laughs> yes, I was originally born in Newark, New Jersey. Yes, so that's where you feel the accent that I was from. I come from cool. humble, humble uh, roots. My father's a policeman and a postman. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and then a, then a postwoman. And I have brothers and sisters. I have a brother who's older than I am who's successful. I have a brother who's just a couple of I mean, nine years ago finished his 32 years in Marine Corps as a colonel. Wow. And I have a sister who is an MBA and engineer who has five children, another sister who uh, has three boys and is a lawyer. So we come from a, wow. Wow. we come from family that we had a study and we made the best of it. Yeah, absolutely. And so you said that when you were 20 years old, you were an OR tech and then a doctor kind of took you under your wings. Actually, not an OR tech. I actually worked. I was an orderly. I was actually an O. I was on the floor. I used to roll people here and there and 
all kinds of strange things. So what got you into that? Uh, necessity. <laughs> okay. I, I needed a job that's, that it was after work. I mean, after school, I should say. Yeah, yeah. And school finished in college about 4 o'clock. And so they had a 4 to 11 shift. So I did that on Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. And that's how I got into it. So it was actually turned out to be pretty good. Okay, so the doctor just saw you and was like, I think that like there's got to be some sort of conversation right. that I, happened. I, How did that? I was the only male there. Think about it. It's all women, for the most part, is the only male. He yeah. had, had this gentleman, just Dr. Richard Prater, he had just gotten out of the Air Force, out of 20 years in the Air Force. And uh, he met me, and we had a lot in common, and we just started talking. And he said, well, hey, why don't you come to the operating room with me? Believe it or not, back then you could go to the operating room without all these special type of certificates. And yeah. I just, first case I did was a rotator cuff with him, just scrubbed in, it was wonderful. And that got me interested in orthopedics. Wow. Yep. I and, can't even imagine. And the rest just fell into place. It was so you were like, all I'm going to be an attorney and go be a lawyer <laughs> and cheer <laughs> all It medicine. just happened. It just happened. Exactly right. <laughs> so what made you choose the Navy? The white uniforms. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I Great. Love it. I, it was uh, just wonderful uniforms, and I couldn't see myself in the Army, and I don't think I could fly, so the Navy was an easy choice. <laughs> okay, so remind us again where you did all of your um, education. Okay, I went to two years of school in, in Rutgers in New Jersey, where I was studying to be a lawyer and accountant, and uh, then moved over to New Mexico State. For a long story, I had to get away from New Jersey for a while. I wasn't in trouble with the law, I just had to get away, and I was a <laughs> nice Italian boy in a tight family. I wanted to grow a little bit, so the best thing was move, and my uncles, I had two uncles that retired in New Mexico, so I just yeah. come out and visit us, and I wound up staying there for two years, and that's where I met that, that orthopedic surgeon who got me interested in medicine, and then I went to his medical school. It was very interesting. That's awesome. And that's how I, then that I needed money, and the Navy was fantastic to get money for mm -hmm. education, and they yep. put me through medical school, and I had to put, you know, I wound up putting nine more years in the Navy. It was a wonderful time. That's awesome. And I enjoyed it. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Again. Okay, so what what brought you to Texas? You were in Corpus for I a while. I was in Corpus. I, it's funny. I wanted to go to a tax-free state that had business-friendly community, so it came between Tennessee and Texas. Radio Texas. And then I actually just love the airport. The airport allowed me to get to New Jersey in four hours and San Diego in four hours. I said, Houston's the greatest place in the world. <laughs> so I moved to it's Houston. a lot hotter than Tennessee. <laughs> they ain't got snow up there. I'll tell you, when I first got to Houston, I said, God, this is just concrete. It was horrible. And now I love it. My kids won't leave it. And I'm so happy I'm here. I like mm -hmm. Texas, too. We're me glad too. that you're here, too. So, what can, so you do other surgeries besides hips and knees, what we talked yes. about today. What other yes. surgeries do you do? What's interesting, I started out doing mainly sports medicine, shoulders and knees. And as most orthopedics mature, they, their patients mature with them. And so you start doing more knee replacements. And that was I did that by design. That's why I did the fellowship in joints. I kind of knew way back when that when I got older, I'm going to be doing a lot of joints because the baby boomers are going to peak when I was in my peak. Mm -hmm. And that's when we always did it. And beforehand, I was young and I loved sports, so I had a good combination. And so what I love to do now is if I could just do shoulders, rotator cuffs, and shoulder surgeries, total joints, and some ACLs, and maybe hit ankle fracture here and there, I'll be very happy. Ankles. But I see, mm -hmm. I see anything that comes to the door. If I can't do it, and it's some things I don't like doing anymore, I refer to 
doctors in the community that are very good. Like next week, you're going to have Dr. Hanahosa, excellent hand surgeon. I send her on my hands. So that's I've been here long enough to know who I would like, who I would have operate on me. So I send it to those people. Yeah. Okay. So if someone wants to make an appointment with you, how do they contact you? Easy. They call 281-286-3500. They ask for Angela or Trisha. <laughs> right there. Yes, or, or Trisha, and they'll get in. We have a short We We don't have much of a wait list. We don't like to keep it long, and we try to accommodate our patients. Where is your office located? It's right here on Pine Lock and El Camino, right here in right off by Bay Oaks right next to Grazia if right you exactly. like Grazia I love that place the other cap unit on the other side it's been there for 20 years wow really yes, 20 years wow. yes in fact tomorrow I'll be renegotiating my lease for the next 5 to 10 years wow <laughs> that's awesome yes. alright what do you do for fun oh easy I like to golf uh, I'm, I'm not a great golfer, but I'm getting better, and that's my passion. If I was an orthopedic surgeon, I'd want to be a professional golfer. <laughs> not a lawyer anymore? <laughs> no. no it's, I would love to go all over places and play beautiful courses. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you about my golf game. It's hit the air or hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Anything else you'd like to say to people before we go? Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for being on. It, 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 very love of wonderful show it's, it went very fast like you said <laughs> and you're a very very good host awesome well thank you thank you guys for watching today and like uh, Dr. Malillo said we're next week we're going to have Dr. Hinojosa on she's going to be talking about all about hands so if you're carpal tunnel trigger finger I don't know what else we need to talk about for her but we'll research that a little bit more and have her on next week so come back next Tuesday at 4 o'clock we'll be here interact with Abby and her guest on Facebook search for Vinyl Draft Radio V-I-N-Y-L-D-R-A-U-G-H-T your health matters with Abby Lee on Vinyl Draft Radio.